This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad. Hello, product masters. We're going to be talking about a recent study that was done, and I'll tell you more about that in just a moment, but it's going to give us some good insights about what's going on in product management and product management teams. If you want to go to the detailed written notes of everything that you hear, along with a one-page action guide to help you put some of this information into action now, you'll find all that at productmasterynow.com slash 344. So for several years, our guest has conducted this uh, study called uh, the Study of Product Team Performance. And uh, I think we've talked three times now, Greg, uh, or maybe four times now on on this. I uh, really enjoy hearing the insights. And this study is going to be a little bit different for us because we've had this thing going that, on that we are all been impacted by called the COVID pandemic. And that uh, got reflected in the study. So we'll, we'll dive into that a bit more. But for a proper introduction here, returning with us is Greg Geraci, and he's the CEO of Actuation Consulting. They're a global provider of product management training, consulting, and advisory services to some of the world's best-known organizations. I've known Greg for several years. I recommend Greg's work to others when they're looking to implement product management or improve product management in their organizations. I think we initially met maybe through our involvement with PDMA. We both have volunteered there, and that's the Product Development and Management Association. They're the the oldest uh, professional association for us in product management and doing innovation work. Greg, how are you doing? Great, Chad. Glad to be with you again. Uh, I am delighted. I'm delighted always to get the chance to talk with you and also to hear about the study. Same here. It's obviously mutual. So it's <laughs> a good thing. So let's talk about the purpose or anyone that doesn't know the purpose of this study of product team performance and how that was a little bit different this year. Well, as you know, Chad, and some of your listeners know, I'm sure as well, we've been conducting this research into the factors that differentiate successful product teams from the rest of the pack. And normally we focus on conducting regression analysis on the survey data to sort of sift out the statistical gems. Mm -hmm. However, um, with the onset of the global pandemic, as you mentioned, we shifted our focus this year to honing in on what the impact of COVID-19 was having on the performance of product teams. And our goal was really to capture learnings from this pandemic to help our clients and our followers better understand the impact of the pandemic on product team performance. And we also anticipate that there'll be future pandemics that emerge and potentially during the course of our working lives. So we viewed this as an opportunity to take a snapshot of what was happening in terms of the pandemic's impact on product teams as a valuable opportunity and something that we couldn't pass up. And I'd just like to note that we enjoy sharing our findings as we believe it helps practitioners become better informed and our data can aid in decision making. So we welcome opportunities to participate in marketing events and share findings and settings like your podcast, Chad. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be back here with you again and to talk to your listeners. Excellent. And it will help us as well to kind of know what's going on with teams. And as you said, what the best performers are doing, pick up some tips there and maybe get some better insights about COVID in the long term as well. I always like to know what type of companies were involved, who you talk to when you get the data. Give us some insights about the companies, industries that participated. 
So companies of all shapes and sizes around the world participate in our research. And for this study, about 49% of survey respondents work in the technology industry. We define that as either hardware or software. And approximately 22% of respondents work in the services industry. Another uh, 13% work in consumer products. Education was almost 4%, if I recall correctly, this year. Government, about 1%. That's always a relatively small percent each year that we conduct the study. And 11% are people who say that the categories as we define them don't apply to them, and they solicit themselves into the other category. In terms of revenue, it might be helpful to look at it from that perspective, too. 35% of our respondents worked for companies with revenue less than $50 million, followed by companies over $2 billion with revenue at almost, or $2 billion in revenue at about 20, 28% of respondents. And then finally, companies ranging from 50 million to about 2 billion made up about 37%. And one thing I do want to call out, Chad, which you'll be probably heartening to the group um, listening, is that over 55% of the respondents this year were product managers, which is a higher ratio than we normally have in terms of response rate. So uh-huh. the product management community was really vocal about what was impacting their teams. That's excellent. Glad they participated. And I also wonder if that might be a reflection of we have more people in the role related to product management, right? So it certainly has been picking up more interest in the last several years here. Agreed. Okay, so that helps. So a lot of variety in the background there. Pretty good technology focus, which probably fits well for the audience here to hardware, software sort of focus, but also services and consumer products and across sizes of organizations. So I'm eager to dive into the findings. And instead of, you know, I have the report. Others can go get the report too. We can provide a link to that. But instead of pulling out specific things that I thought were interesting, I'd like for you to just kind of take us through it. And you can highlight what you thought was significant because you've been looking at this for so many years too to kind of know how things vary over time. So where do you want to start? I think, Chad, if it's agreeable, I'm going to start with the actual end outcome findings, so sort Mm -hmm. of the themes, and because I think they tend to summarize some of the individual data points that are reflected in the study, and I think it's a good place to have a conversation. So there are really four key findings, as you know, Chad, although there's, as you, you know as well, there's much more information contained in the white paper, so I would encourage interested listeners to download the white paper in its entirety, because we don't have sufficient time to cover everything in the podcast today. So let's start with one of the first findings, it was very interesting. Survey respondents were espousing a remote first mind. And, you know, while work from home trends began before the pandemic started, it really, you know, COVID really, emergence really accelerated the stay-at-home work model. And respondents not only were embracing work from home, but they believe that their organization should be designed with a remote first mentality and operating structure. I I think what is also interesting about that is survey respondents described how their organizations were rigidly against remote work, but saw how working from home could be highly effective. So, you know, there was, you know, respondents were pretty vocal about the fact that, you know, that COVID really changed the mentality of organizations in a way that wouldn't have happened, you know, had the pandemic or some other mm-hmm. black swan type of event, you know, had not come up, basically. And I think the lesson that many people took from this is that organizations need to perpetually experiment with remote technology and collaboration tools and trends before a pandemic or a black swan event focus, you know, forces changes to happen under duress. I think it's also worth noting that the remote work capability does not extend evenly to all business verticals. So, you know, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 
the leaders were really the education segment. So, you know, academics and financial services organizations from a remote work standpoint, you know, they led the way with employees working from home. In contrast, food service, retail, construction segments, for obvious reasons, were the lowest adopters, which I don't think shocks anybody on the call on the podcast. Additionally, I think the shift to remote work comes with a whole range of challenges that respondents told us about too. Internet connectivity tends to be an issue for a lot of people. Process documentation and onboarding of new employees were big challenges that, you know, people cited in the study. Feelings of alienation, as well as a perceived lack of empathy from executives, all contribute to lower levels of reduced productivity. And, you know, I, it's easy to look at the data and sort of stick to the facts, but there are real true life stories that people told us about the impact of COVID on their lives and what the implications were for work. So I don't think the human element can be, you know, underestimated in all of this. In fact, about 19% of employees are really struggling with being effective working remotely, and many are dealing with loss of family members. One respondent told us how it took her six months to get back to normal after her mother passed away from COVID, and this really impacted her productivity, which is completely understandable, right? But I think organizations need to keep in mind the impact the pandemic was having and is having at a personal level on their employees. Yeah, it's really good points in there. Uh, and as I was working with companies too, going through the pandemic time, many people just feeling overwhelmed and that kind of leading to a sense of kind of laziness of like, I'm just overwhelmed. And I don't know what to do next. Right. And I just kind of yeah. need to step back and figure things out a little bit. And then if we weren't working remotely, being forced to all of a sudden is a change. Right. And I heard, I don't know what, what, I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but I heard a lot of pros and cons along the way. Right. I heard a lot of people saying, wow, right. I don't have that commute anymore. I have, I get to have lunch with my my family, you know, there, there, there were positives in there. And then there was also the, I'm so tired of being on Zoom meetings, right? The uh, right. Uh, yeah. other fatigue elements centering. Okay. But the yeah. first thing, a remote first mindset, and there were other, some other things that came up for me. We might get back to them, but I want to make sure we get through all the four key findings. So you got it. Go ahead. All right. Number two, we found in the data that organizations with a clear view of their strategy found it easier to successfully pivot during the pandemic. Uh, Chad, if you recall to previous conversations you and I've had with the listeners, we've almost consistently in every study found that strategy is a really important point correlated to higher performance on product teams. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in this particular instance, we're talking about the business strategy, not just the product strategy. So specifically what respondents were pointing to were pivoting the business model and operating practices in the face of the pandemic. And the thing that was most shocking to us is how upbeat people were. Survey respondents almost to a man were, were, were very upbeat in ways that we didn't anticipate. Many viewed the changes that were taking place as opportunities on which they and their organizations could capitalize. And one respondent had, you know, like opined, extraordinary situations are extraordinary opportunities. And that sort of sums up the way that the respondents in aggregate sort of summarize the opportunities they saw, even in the face of this terrible pandemic. So many organizations told us that they indicated that they had to reprioritize their investments, true up their strategy emphasize virtual products and passive income streams like subscription services that don't rely upon in-person sales efforts to deliver value. 
And I think importantly, employees are much warier now of what's coming down the road, as many anticipate there'll be more pandemics or disruptive events in the future. And this leads to the next finding, which would we can talk about, which is planning. But that's it was really surprising how upbeat people were and how opportunistic, you know, they saw the situation. Yeah. And just to underscore that, I think that's a characteristic of us who are wired as product managers and innovators is we see <laughs> yes. problems and we see opportunities because we're we're there right. to solve problems and add value for customers. And I talked to many people that, in a sense, welcomed the opportunity to step back a little bit. And, you know, individuals that were leaders of small organizations, a few of them would say, well, you know, now I have some time to actually think about what we should be doing next. And that hasn't happened for right. a long time. Right. Yep. And while some certainly sectors as holes, but even within sectors that were in decline, you find standout businesses that were thriving that actually saw revenue increase because of pivots that they were able to make. Right. Great. And I love underscoring the importance of strategy. Everything that we do should align to organizational strategy. Yep. Completely agree. Shall I take on number three, Chad? Let's do it. Okay. So there's a heightened awareness of future disruptive events. And in fact, respondents believe that organi- that their organizations, their organizations failed to effectively plan for adverse events, and they want to see this corrected. And as one individual put it, I think he said, disaster recovery planning is not just for IT systems. To underscore the point that, you know, there's, there, that IT systems may be, may have robust contingency plans and backup support kind of plans. But the reality is that the organization in general often lack these. And this, of course, will vary with size of organization as well. But I think while it's virtually impossible for organizations to plan for true black swan types of events, many health experts and even Bill Gates had been warning for years about the global pandemic threats. And businesses really didn't take it seriously until, you know, confronted with the the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think many respondents believe their organizations failed to effectively plan for disasters sufficiently and welcome much more planning in advance of the next crisis. And I think specifically what they're referring to are business continuity plans, increased contingency and scenario planning, and the development of special teams to deal with future crises more effectively. Okay. Yeah, the scenario planning is really helpful to think through what might happen. And we do the same thing when we're thinking about customer scenarios and how to create more value for them. Yep. Okay, so heightened awareness of future adverse events. Right. Good. What's our fourth one? The fourth one has to do with something that I think we everybody can attest to. The pandemic really scrambled the status quo. And as a result, respondents cited a need for to be successful, a flexible, agile, and entrepreneurial mindset. That's what's required to deal with these kind of curveballs, basically. So respondents cited a flexible culture as the key to weathering this pandemic. And I think many went on to describe how the status quo had been upended. For example, as we can all attest, the mass migration of working to, of working, to working from home. I think what people don't always see is a bigger picture, of course, a lot more than that happened. You know, customer meetings went virtual, presentations went virtual, conventions went virtual, trade shows all went virtual. So, I mean, it isn't just, it's a wide range of things that were impacted. And to thrive in this environment, respondents cite the need for flexible, agile, and entrepreneurial thinking. And importantly, they also stress the importance of evaluating which organizational activities should cease. And I think as one employee framed it, everything plus 
more is not a strategy, nor is it sustainable. So, you know, I think there was, they're calling out the tendency of organizations to, to not stop any activities in the, in the face of the pandemic, but only add on more activities, you know, that, that made them more inefficient and stressed them out, to be honest. So they were pleading really with organizations to think about the other side of the equation. As you add new things, you know, there's only so much we can really handle. So please take things off our plate as well. Right. Yeah, there needs to be balance there for sure. The the flexibility in the culture, you know, th- this helps organizations. I always regard culture as the secret sauce of organizations, right? We can duplicate strategies, but it's more challenging to duplicate a strong culture. And being flexible even before any of these issues is very helpful. You know, you, you can steer and change that organization more quickly if you need to pivot. And now seeing that reflected because of this and the value of that. I appreciate that being highlighted, right? Mm-hmm. That, that should be a good element of our organizations. Yeah, and I think I think Chad, once culture gets established, it's really difficult to change. So, right. yep, I like thinking through culture and how we communicate it, but I, I won't go down that tangent at the moment. <laughs> but for product masters listening, just think about how you would share the culture with a friend. What would you tell them? Okay, I want to go back to the remote first mindset just a bit. Sure. Right? That for a lot of us for work, you know, virtual teams not new, mm-hmm. but seeing that go across the organizations that was new. Yep. Not getting on planes to travel to see customers or have meetings. That was new, right? And I'm hearing a lot from people that they don't expect to actually go back to an office environment. And they've gotten very comfortable meeting with customers virtually and see little reason for business travel. And that may be flexing, right, as we continue on. Mm-hmm. But what, what indications did you get about kind of the state of things remaining? You mean in terms of for, for what, remote work? Yeah, um, what's going to happen going forward? Is yeah. that the question? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, my takeaway is that I think the majority of survey respondents, if I had to sum it all up, would prefer to work from home indefinitely. You know, they don't really want to go back to the office. I think there are a subset of people who do want to, you know, assuming those families who have, you know, small children who can't go to school, things like that, you know, which impact their their ability to be able to do work effectively. I'm sure they welcome the opportunity to get out of the house, you know, but I'd say the majority of survey respondents really would prefer to work from home indefinitely and found it invaluable to be able to do that, eliminating the commutes and the things that you referenced, Chad. But I think it it's very unlikely to play out that way. I think there'll be a small, based on our research, there'll be a small subset of employees who enjoy the ability to work from home, but the majority are likely to end up in some kind of hybrid model situation where they're working from home two or three days a week and then back in the office for two or three days a week. I think that's ultimately where we're going to shake out. Okay. Yeah. So we'll still make use of that office space in some way. I know one organization, and they may be evolving this as well, they've gone back to a uh, one week a month in the office schedule, right? And so it's, yeah. you get three weeks at home, but together a week. And I, I, for me personally, I think the variety would be beneficial. One or the other, I think I would get bored with. <laughs> so You know, as a consultant, we're used to living on planes and, you know, visiting clients. So it's pretty difficult to make the transition to actually working remotely on a hundred percent basis. So, you know, speaking for myself and the guys, I mean, I would basically say we, we look forward to the day we can actually get back out and spend quality time with clients. You know, we're starting to see 
clients actually want to meet more in person. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are things like, you know, asking about whether you've been vaccinated, you know, how long ago it was, you know, there isn't like a passport that anybody can look at. But assuming you have developed levels of trust, you know, there there's like a check down list that, you know, employee uh, clients ask for before meetings. So we're seeing more and more of that right now. And and we are starting to engage again. One other point just to make the, the consultants that were on site, and this is part of the report, you and I I talked about this before we we started the podcast, but you know those consultants that were on site or integrated in organizations before COVID hit, you know, continued to maintain those relationships, working on a remote basis, and you know that was that was welcome from a consulting company standpoint. And I know, you know, that companies really appreciated being able to keep those consultants on. Many downsized employees during that period, but largely kept consultants in our experience on because they're a variable expense to the business. Yeah. I think through these changes, the key thing is to find something that feels familiar. And uh, we we, we like that familiar. And that will will evolve for all of us, right? And I think more more of us are probably more comfortable doing work virtually now and can find familiar aspects of that still. And the time to get face-to-face is useful. I'm most curious to see how this will impact innovation. Innovation is fundamentally about finding a problem to solve. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what the the goodness that actually happens in innovation are those cross-discipline interactions between people. Right. Maybe we'll figure out a way to plan them better, but a lot of those just happen. Right. And like Steve Jobs' final product was that huge campus that he you know designed right at the mm-hmm. end of his life. And I'm curious to see you know what will happen in this kind of hybrid remote work environment to facilities like Apple and others, and uh, how that yeah. impacts things. We'll see. Yeah, Chad. One other thing I just throw in the mix is you know, and you alluded to this in your comment a minute ago, which is the data also showed that the part of the product management process that got impacted the most heavily was actually customer engagement in the discovery process. In fact, 40% or more of survey respondents cited this as the biggest challenge to their current product development related activities. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we'll see what happens there. I saw a upswing, and I don't have any real data on this, so I can make it all up. But I saw <laughs> what looked like more organizations using a virtual market research services, right? A lot more web ethnography and and other capabilities, and those are good good tools right. to embrace too. Yep. It sounds like uh, some sort of hybrid environment is likely going forward that we'll be dealing with. What about tips for thriving in such an environment, right? When we're doing work from home, you said 19% of respondents said, you know, they're, they're finding it hard to be effective working from home. I and mean, I'm sure all of us struggle to some point with things. What about some tips for helping out? Yeah, so I have to give credit to Nick DeLisi, the CTO of eMoney Advisor, who was a client of ours, because actually the tips that we included in the, the white paper were actually derived from him and his sort of working experiences, if you will, throughout COVID, trying to help his team manage more effectively and, and treat them in a way that they felt like there was empathy for their uh, situations. So I selected a couple that come to mind off the top of my head that I thought might be useful for listeners if they're not doing them all already. And the first had to do, his first suggestion was changing your default meeting setting from one hour to 45 minutes to enable breaks and to relieve mental exhaustion. I'm not sure everybody does that. I do that personally, and I would encourage other people. I find it's very useful uh, to get a reset between meetings, particularly Zooms or, you know, Microsoft team meetings. You know, I think 
he also pointed out that it's important to, to understand your employees, whether they have families or not, and be patient with remote employees, with families who are working from home, and be, you know, give them the benefit of it. He suggested, if I remember right, can, recording meetings for those unable to attend so they can catch up later. There's a tendency, you know, when people get miss a meeting that, you know, the organization continues to move forward, but, you know, not everybody's rowing the oars at the same time or in the same direction. So, this gives people the opportunity to make sure that they're they're aligned with whatever comes out of those meetings. And I think, you know, there's another one that often we we think about, but maybe we don't always do is, you know, don't forget to thank people. And by that, he meant sending thoughtful gifts to employees as a way to say thanks or acknowledge, you know, leadership's awareness of the pandemic's hardships and their appreciation for the efforts, extra efforts that and hardships that employees are going undergoing. And, you know, uh, while Nick didn't say this specifically, if we think back to some of those stories about people who lost family members and stuff, I mean, you know, expressing empathy, you know, and acknowledging those kind of things and you know, going the extra step with employees that have suffered loss, I think only helps further the relationship between the employee and the organization. So they may be small things, but they matter. And Nick had, I think, five or six other ones. I just don't recall them off the top of my head, but those are the ones that, that sort of bu- bubble to the surface. Yeah, those are good tips. We're, we're supposed to be good at empathy in, in the work that we do. And I think sometimes we forget to express that to those around us that are helping us get the work done as well. Yeah. The recording me- meetings is useful. I really appreciate also when the meeting organizer will send out a short summary. It's like, I don't really have time for, to watch that 45-minute meeting. But if you you know summarize yeah. the key takeaways and things I'm supposed to be, I should be aware of, that is super helpful for me. I agree. And I, I found in a lot of meetings, you know, they, they felt like there was more humanity restored to some of these Zoom meetings where the, you know, the three-year-old would come and climb on mommy's lap during the middle of the meeting. And we just yeah. kind of all expected that, right? That that's like, mm-hmm. that's okay. Well, I can attest to that. I had my cat actually decide she wanted to join the meeting and hop up on my keyboard once or twice. So, and the thing is, like when you have a headset on, you know, you can't hear her coming in any way. So, you know, it's a a bit of a shock. Yes, it's happened (laughs) twice. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, good. Well, thank you for the information. We'll talk about a moment where to find all these things. But but first, as listeners know, I love the innovation quotes. What did you bring for us? And tell us what that one means to you. Sure. So I selected one that we chose to incorporate in the white paper. It's actually the central theme for our research, which is crisis is the great revealer by the the quote is from Simon Sinek in his book, The Infinite Game. I haven't actually read the book, but I like the quote. So, so we went with it. And, you know, the reason I chose it, you know, it's pretty clear to me that the pandemic forced a large number of companies to rethink their approach to the market. You know, if we think about training, for instance, companies that, you know, derive their revenue from, you know, training tended to do a lot of that physically pre-pandemic. So it really forced organizations to shift to more online, you know, ways of training and their business models were impacted pretty significantly as businesses decentralized and transportation access was choked off by the pandemic as well. So there's literally, but you know, while that may be one example, there's literally hundreds of examples, you know, of how this crisis revealed both the strengths and weaknesses of many companies' business models and operating processes. So I, I really feel like this pandemic was a great revealer. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's back to opportunity and those challenges, right? And where we see opportunities yep. to innovate. So that quote fits very well. Before we get to links, the this podcast is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, which is how I help organizations kind of get on the same page building high-performing teams for product management. The work that you do is often engaging organizations to improve their product management capability and build better you know, pipelines for, for that kind of work. And I see this as a really good foundation first, right? The helping everyone understand the basic concepts, fundamental practices, and there's several hundred of them. We don't need to use all of them, but being aware is really useful. Mm -hmm. And in the process of the work that I do with them, we do this over nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week virtually. They build a lot more collaboration. They start talking with each other in ways that they don't normally. And we really see big changes in how they perform. So I suspect that's something that you appreciate as well having in place if you if you get to work with product managers that have some understanding of you know the fundamentals, good foundation, that makes it easier for you to take them from there. Absolutely. Anyone interested in the RPM experience, you can go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM. Greg, for finding out where this is, and also for anyone interested mm-hmm. in the work that you do there at Actuation Consulting, mm-hmm. what are some good links for us? Sure. Best place to go to learn more about us is www.actuation, that's A-C-T-U-A-T-I-O-N, consulting.com. You know, you can learn more about our company. We have case studies. As As Chad mentioned, our core business model is helping organizations stand up a product management organization or help to scale an existing one effectively. So you can learn more and, and actually hear directly from customers who've worked with us in the past. You can also call us. My personal number, if you want to reach out to me, is 858-829-6034. And, uh, you know, you can also download the white paper that this uh, podcast information was derived from at the website as well. You'll find it on the landing page, and there's actually a resources page as well that you can download it from. Excellent. So those will be in the show notes. Product Masters, you'll find those show notes at productmasterynow.com slash 344. Greg, thank you so much for sharing the information and joining us once again. It's a pleasure, Chad. I always enjoy our collaborations. Likewise. We'll have to do it again next year, if not sooner. I look forward to it. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.